Hello. Our passage this morning is 1 Peter 2 verses 4 to 10. And as I read, do listen out for the repetition and the, just the patterning and the reversals that we hear during this passage. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and, pre and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, last week in Wednesday's midday prayer, we managed to upset ourselves a bit with the psalm for the day. It was Psalm 122, and the first verse is this. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. It could have been worse, I suppose. It could have been Psalm 42. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I went with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God with, gla with glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. Well, as we met for prayer through the screen, it did seem very hard to be sitting there in our separate rooms, looking at two-dimensional versions of one another, versions that sometimes freeze with odd, odd expressions on our face or suddenly start to sound like Daleks. And that is why I'm very pleased to be speaking on this passage today. Now, this might seem strange because this passage, you might think, is entirely about the social and the communal aspects of our faith about being built together into a spiritual house around Jesus, our living stone, about being a holy nation, God's own people. Of course, you'd be quite right. But this week, I saw another perspective on this passage, and it came out of a mistake in a morning prayer service. This year, I'm working for Westcott House, one of the theological colleges that train up vicars for the Church of England. Of course, most of the students have gone home now with the coronavirus situation, but they continue to have online teaching. And one of the things we're carrying on together is morning prayer, like everything else, via Zoom. And we follow the lectionary, the prescribed readings for the day, which are shared out amongst members of the group. And one day this week, the student reading the Old Testament reading accidentally read the evening prayer portion from the, from the day before. So I spent several moments in confusion trying to work out what was going on, as you do, expecting to hear about Moses, hearing about Samuel, then decided just to let it go and sit and listen. It was the passage where the prophet Samuel is sent to anoint a new king of Israel that ultimately will replace the then king, Saul. The Lord sends him to the house of Jesse, 
and each of Jess's sons is brought out in turn, starting with the eldest. But the Lord says of each one, this is not the one. Have you any others? asks Samuel. And eventually they send for David, the youngest and least important. Sorry to any of you who are the youngest in your family, who is out in the fields looking after the sheep. And he, of course, turns out to be the one that the Lord wants Samuel to anoint, to mark out as the, as the next king to be. Why? Well, God says to Samuel, and he's obviously impressed by the tall and imposing eldest son. The Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord does not see as mortals see. We look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And this is a theme that runs through the entire Bible. It characterizes the way God works. We human beings tend to be so impressed by appearance, by the physical reality, by the way things look. But God looks at the heart, the spiritual reality. And I hope as we go on, you'll see how that applies to our passage today. So a quick reminder of the setting of this letter. This is written to mostly Gentile Christians across the area that's now modern Turkey. It reminds them of their new birth into a living hope through their faith in Jesus and offers them that hope in the face of persecution that they're obviously suffering from their non-Christian neighbours. And as you listen to our reading, I hope you notice some of the repetition. The living stone, that is Jesus. The living stones, that are us, the readers. Jesus was rejected by humans, but chosen and precious to God. We are chosen, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. The writer doesn't uh, bring in that, that opposite of, of us, the reader, being rejected, because he's going to, uh, I think because he's going to talk about persecution later in the letter. So Jesus was rejected by most of his own people who didn't believe that he was God's Messiah, God's anointed king in the line of that shepherd boy, David, that was picked out by Samuel. Jesus didn't look as the people expected him to look or act as they expected him to act. He wasn't a mighty warrior. He didn't gather an army and declare war against the Roman Empire. The exact opposite, in fact. He laid down his life and allowed himself to be executed by those same Romans. The end of the story? The Lord does not see as mortals see. No, Jesus was chosen and precious in God's sight. He was the cornerstone. The cornerstone, that essential, perfectly shaped, squared off stone that's laid down first, that you use to get the angles of the walls right so that they're straight and the whole house is sound and built properly. He is the foundation stone for a whole new spiritual house, a whole new temple born through his death and resurrection and built out of those of us who follow him, the people of God, also living stones. And that's where our passage starts. Come to him, the living stone. In fact, keep coming to him. Keep being built up because the Greek tense underlying our translation is the present tense for continued ongoing action, which is brought out quite nicely by our NIV translation. So we line up against our pattern, Jesus, and then together we make a house that is solid and beautifully built. But then the image in our passage changes. We're not a house so much as a household, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. What does that mean, spiritual sacrifices? We can get some clues from elsewhere in the Bible. 
The letter to Hebrews says, through Jesus then, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that confess his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So a spiritual sacrifice is a spiritual offering of praise to God and of doing good to others and sharing what we have. Again, modeled on the pattern and in the power of our living stone, Jesus, who gave himself to serve the people that others took no notice of. And another way priests do good is to pray to God on behalf of others. So if we're a holy priesthood, another of our tasks is to pray for other people. And let me take this opportunity just to remind you uh, of Thy Kingdom Come that started on Thursday on Ascension Day. I've got here a prayer journal that you can get to go along with it. It's 11 days of prayer ending on Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, in which we commit to praying for five other people. It's not too late to join in. Google it. There's resources online. So as well as a holy priesthood, we're also called to be a holy nation, God's own people, his special possession. And this is the language used of the people of Israel in uh, the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament, God's chosen people. So once those of us not born into the chosen Jewish people, like most of the first readers of this letter, were outsiders from the perspective of, of God. Once we were not a people, in Peter's words. But now with the coming of Jesus, everyone who puts their faith in him is welcomed into God's people. The boundaries have burst open and no one needs to be an outsider anymore. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And what's all this for? So that we can declare the marvellous acts of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. To declare the marvellous acts, to praise and worship the one who rescued us and continues to rescue us from all that goes wrong and that we do wrong. And to declare that God is good to others who don't know him. The Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. What might that mean for us today? Well, we've had our physical reality, the outward appearance of St Barnabas Church, stripped away. We don't have a church building to gather in at the moment, and who knows when we'll get back in. But that means that now, like God, we're forced to look on the heart, what it truly means to be church to be these living stones built into a spiritual house. That spiritual reality, I think, becomes all the clearer when the physical form is taken away. And perhaps it's not altogether a bad thing to have all our church busyness stripped away from us for a season. I, for one, have realised how much time I used to spend on a Sunday morning just charging about. There are advantages in only going as far as your front room to meet with other Christians. And I'm wondering how I can preserve some of that real Sabbath peace I've discovered from a Sunday in lockdown, even amongst that feeling that I'm sure we all have by now, that you can have too much solitude. But it's now that we see what really matters, to love and care for one another, to pray for one another, to help those in trouble. Later in this letter, Peter urges us to have unity of spirit, sympathy, 
love for one another, a tender heart and a humble mind. So even if it does take us weeks or months to meet one another again in person, this is what we have discovered, the strength of the spiritual house built in our living stone, Jesus. Some of us will find ourselves busy, even or especially in, in lockdown, but many of us will have some space to think about God's call on our lives, to keep coming to Jesus, to be formed into living stones. There are many different parts that make up the house of God. In this time of retreat, is God renewing our call? Or are we beginning perhaps to hear a new call on our lives? Wherever we are, whatever God is saying to us, we can be sure of this, that God's purpose is to call us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Amen. <laughs>